You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. This is episode 73, and I am one of your hosts. My name is Frank Gill, and I'm glad that you're here. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. What's up? New man. I, I don't know how else to describe <laughs> him. Uh, down in Sumter, South Carolina, we got Dumb RP. Guys, it is so good to talk to you today. Yeah. And uh, again, abandoned by his his partner in crime, eating eating and drinking Taco Bell. We got Andrew Larson. How you doing? Those are related too, aren't they? Uh, they, they are not. Here's here's the Taco Tim's Bell story. Tim's not there, I, so now you're eating Taco Bell. No, I, forget Chick Fil A. I'm a, I'm a reprobate right now. I'm eating Taco no, Bell. I, I had to oh, I had to run real quick to get lunch because yeah, you're gonna have um, to run real quick after. Yeah. Well, I will. But this is why I settled for Taco Bell today. You ready for this? I got a plagiarism <laughs> ping on a paper that I turned in last night from Turnitin.com because it, and it was it wasn't like a big paper, it was like a little journal article thing or a journal entry. Um, I lifted a paragraph from a sermon that I wrote in 2017. Oh no! That somebody else published, or uh, so the DYM put it out. And somebody else published it on Faith Life as their own. Oh my gosh! And so, I I took a paragraph of my words, like my devotional thought on Micah six, and somebody had published it under their name. And so now, uh, all morning I was like having Dude, to deal with like that. This is like plagiarism two point oh. Exactly. So I'm like, you plagiarized yes, yourself. Plagiarism and... did occur, however, <laughs> not the way you think. Yes. Also, I, it's I just to... it was like. A little thing that was worth like two point five percent of my grade, not worth, not something worth actually risking anything over. Oh, it was like a discussion board or something. Uh, it was a journal article, like, hey, oh, what are your thoughts on? And so sure. I'm like, I, give me, give me a zero. That's fine, but don't plagiarize. That's not plagiarism. But this, yeah. but this is not plagiarism. These are my thoughts, my words. I once worked for a pastor who would put quotes from himself on his PowerPoint with his initials at the end. With his pic, with with a picture of him He's in like black Michael and white Scott in the, the top pastor. corner. Yes, he That's would put a, he would like say a quote that was his, I guess his words from some other work he did, and then he would put his initials at the bottom of the PowerPoint slide. That's funny. I mean, I will, I will, like, he if also I plagiarize Bill Hybels, but that's a different story. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I will put my like if I have a, a thing I want to get across to our people. Um, like a, a specific we know you'll, you'll, you'll screenshot your tweet and put it on Instagram. We've seen it. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. It. And then I'll take that screenshot off of Instagram and then put it as a sermon slide. So mm-hmm. there's like it's like it's like two two screenshots there. Hey, um, so so Dell, yeah, uh, what's up? What, what you want to want to fill us in yeah, on? Where you anything new with you? So yeah, if y'all notice, <laughs> I've been kind of in and out on the podcast lately because life's been something. But, uh, well, first of all, everyone who went to Practically Pastoring Conference, you have a little bit of insight of what's going on because that's the beautiful thing about the conference. Sign up today, get your free discount, see us next fall. But uh, a lot of people gave me some feedback and some prayers. And yet last, a week ago, while you guys were recording this podcast, I was in the process of resigning from my church. So uh, definitely the Lord's calling. If any of you have ever heard to walk through this or work through this, it is amazing the affirmation you see on the other side of it. So, and I've I've had 
all the guys on this podcast and our private conversations have been so encouraging and former staff have been reaching out and that's a conversation for another day. But if you have ever left a space in ministry where you knew you needed to leave for convictional reasons, you know, the weight of burden that gets lifted off of you and it's almost euphoric. So I'm having to kind of um, realize that, you know, when you, when you go through grief and trauma, there's cycles. So I'm jumbled up in one of those cycles somewhere, but uh, it is, it's good to be on the other side of it and um, see what God's going to do. I'm still called to serve the body of Christ and the bride. So uh, we'll see what comes, but yeah, man, it's, it's been a wild, wild week. Um, well, I mean, great, great pitch for the practically pastoring conference. If you go to practically pastoring conference, you'll find out when one of us are going to quit our jobs. Hey, so <laughs> Dell, you've got six months to secure another pastoring job or else you can't be on this podcast anymore. That's, I mean, oh, that's in our bylaws. All right. Well, if you might want to it's, hit me it's up not practically, it's not practically reverending. It's practically pastoring. <laughs> Pastor is a job title, not that's a right. title title. I'm going to tell you so, what. So maybe you should give your input this week. Delmar is Delmar is practically working right now. (laughs) (laughs) He barely has a job. He doesn't have a job. Um, Well, I say six months because that's how long it took me to go from one to the other. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And you have seven months till the next uh, conference. (laughs) So I better get on it. Get 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 to it. I'll let you guys know. I'll let y'all know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we've been praying for you. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure we'll talk more about this experience and this event sure. in, in, in weeks and months to come. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, you, you went quite through the experience and has lots of twists and turns. Um, and uh, I'm sure there's, yeah. there's valuable lessons for, for people who are listening. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead you can and share those with us here. once the NDA expires. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will, I will put joking. it here on the podcast. Yeah, he's joking. I put it on the podcast that uh, it was really surreal one day when I was sharing with all of you, and all of you looked at me and said, You need to quit. And I was like, Literally, my four bros in crime here are, sa- are seeing. And so, yeah, this has been, you know, I think the listeners, hopefully, this is um, encouraging to you, but uh, it's, it's equally encouraging for me and I think for all of us. Well, I mean, I think this goes to the conversation of like why you shouldn't do ministry alone, mm. because I think if you didn't have people to be candid and honest with about what you're experiencing, because like I think in your particular situation, without going into detail, like you couldn't like share this with the other people at your church. That's you know? such a, yeah. I mean, none of us have skin in the game. It doesn't. It, right. It, we have no effect on yeah. your calling, and your calling has no effect on us in terms of you being our pastor or on staff at our church. So. Right. I we do just, think we, that's that, yeah. that was pretty helpful. Yeah, we just want sure. the best for you. And when you started sharing some stories, I mean, like all four of us were like, "Bro, quit <laughs> with reckless abandon, dude! Like, your wife is there. on board with you doing this. <laughs> just do it." Yeah, my yeah. wife does listen to this podcast, and I yeah. want to officially say she is so awesome. And the the support that I've had with my wife being just godly and in my corner has. It, there again, if you're in ministry and you're married and, and you've got that blessing at, as a backstop behind you, you know what it is. So shout out to her, too. And quite honestly, Miss P is better than you, Delmar. She's she's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's true. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, real quick, I have a question for you guys before we dive into some of our discussions. Um, so I so when you preach at your churches um, and 
let me let me back up and say this. Would you say you have you know at least in a some somewhat frequency somewhat frequently do you share the gospel in a way in your sermons that you require or want a response from the congregation whether that may mean like going to a connect card and filling out saying like I gave my life to Christ or the whole like you know come to the altar or put your hands in the air type of thing. Do you guys have moments like that throughout the, the, the life that, you know, the life of your church or are those like reserved for other moments in the church? Friends, this is why we have communion every week. Oh, nice. Oh. So that's what we do. Well, when I used to preach there. at the church that I used to be at, um, no, but seriously, you used to be a pastor. When I used to be oh, a pastor. Man. Well, I never was a real one, according to, you know, most of the We weren't going to go all the way there yet with you, Dal. It's still fresh. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, um, you know, to me, theology plays into it. I do believe that having that response time explicitly for the gospel is important. I think that um, the gospel should inform all the context of what you preach, right? That's our foundation. Um, so that if... No sermon can be lived out truly apart from the gospel. So I think that is there in even if it's in as a passive call. I do think having the active call to it is important. But I also believe that primarily the church is for the edification of the saints. Right. So every week when my brother is currently living with us because um, him and his wife are in transition moving somewhere else. If every time he walked in the room, I said, hi, would you like to be my brother? That would be weird, you know. Instead, I talk to him like he's my brother. And in a church context, I I speak to the people like this is family, understanding that there may be some people in the room who the Lord is is working to adopt and to call into his kingdom. So if it permits, I I do put that in there. But when I preach outside of the church context, if it's at like a local school or if it's at, you know, a a different venue, then it always is coming back to the gospel. That's my job outside these walls, unless it's like for a D-Now weekend, which is sometimes they've asked me to say something different. Yeah, I I don't do the big altar call. I don't do the big altar call week after week. Um, In fact, rarely. And it's a, and when I do it, I go, this isn't something we do every week because kind of like what Dell said, um, we we believe that the church is primarily a body of believers, but this is what we believe if you are beginning to believe this or have questions about this um, and would like to move forward in your, in your faith, you know, come, come talk to me, but we don't, you know, turn on the pipe organ playing just as I am. And, you know, altars open everybody. That's, that's not who we are as a church. The bus is, but I, I, I I was gonna say, I I grew up in churches like that. Um, The church that I visited in Arkansas a couple weeks ago at the end of the service, it was a, all right, y'all, the altars open. And like a couple of people like went forward to pray. I was like, I, I didn't even notice there was any application in the sermon. I don't know. I don't know what this is about, but okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In, I, all, in all seriousness on mine, um, I usually, do, it's just, and in this, the whole thing where we do this after the live stream is off, but many times when I'm leading the communion moment, I will say something to the effect of, if you know and love Jesus, this is what it means for you. If you don't know and love Jesus, here's what it means for That's you. That's good. Here's how you can respond. So that's pretty regular for us. Oh, Jeff, um, you know, to that point, it's, I do something similar sometimes. Like if I'm going to share some like in-house conversation about Christianity and it's like super, you could call it controversial or whatever you want. There's times when I say, listen, if you're here and you're visiting, this is this is not a demand for your life. But this is a demand for the life of the believers. So you have 
you, you have a right to look at them and see if they're living it out. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I just acknowledge, hey, the world's going to, um, if you're in the room and you're a believer, I'm giving everyone else permission to look and see if this is demonstrated in your life. Because it's a way of acknowledging the people who may be in the room. I think that's Yeah, important. and I, I mean, I, you know, I'll apply it to different, even prayer times, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll make the joke of like, you know, if you're visiting with us today and you're wondering why we're praying, I mean, you, you did come to church. And here's <laughs> here's why we pray and here's why we can pray because God has accepted us in Christ. And if you want that to be true for you, you know, so sometimes it weaves its way into other elements in the service. But yeah, I grew up, Andrew, like you in a church that had an altar call, so to speak, every almost every week. And then I started reading a little bit about revivalism and was like, don't, you know, uh, th- that whole history is kind of crazy and weird. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm of the same mind that the, the purpose of the Sunday gathering of the church is really edification of the saints and discipleship it's not it's not the primary outreach um you know the the goal of it isn't primarily outreach although that happens when we um talk to one another in a way that's understandable to outsiders yeah i mean i uh i I was preaching yesterday and we uh the sermon naturally went to a point where um it was it was it was very evangelistic and you know, I think my conviction has always been like I'm not into true altar calls. Like I would never ask anyone to come to the front. I'm not into the guilt tar, you know what I'm saying? Where, you know, you're playing music in the background to try to create an emotive response or something mm-hmm. like that. But I um but it's been a part of our tradition, you know, throughout the years to have a moment where like people could like bow their head and close their eyes and then you can yeah. have someone put their head up. And like it was just in our in our past when that's been done i've never had to do it or or you know lead that but you know i was like encouraged to kind of go down that path and i don't know looking back like i wasn't i'm i i think of this way either either i don't have the gift of evangelism so therefore i'm not like very good at that or i just don't know if i'm convinced that like that like that that way makes the most sense at least in our context does that make sense um, yeah, still, and, still and, called to do it though, regardless of gifting, you know. Yeah, no do, the doubt. Work, do the work of an evangelist, which yeah. in that yes. setting might be, you know, having that moment. I, I'm like, I went. I would say I'm. I've kind of come to the other side of a period of like, almost being negative towards an altar call to where now yeah. I'm like, it's not my thing. But there might be times when it's when that's what happens, and it's a, and it's a, and it can be a good thing. I think my posture now is I'm not I'm I'm against altar calls in like the way we've all kind of negatively experienced it, where it's like yeah. come to the front, da 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 da. But I'm definitely open to hey, maybe today is a day where you need like like confront the question in the room. Maybe today's the day where you have for the first time realized what Christ has done for you and things like that. I would say and, I'm against the idea of altar calls being a necessity at the end of a service. Oh, for sure. But I'm yes, not against sure. the idea of an altar call in general, like of calling yeah. people to respond. No, I'm not against, I'm not against yeah. it. I, I guess don't, it, I don't I do it in this, the way that you're talking about. This sure, goes really close to praxis because, you know, there are certain churches that, your big gospel push is going to happen on an open baptism Sunday. And then it's like, that doesn't even feel genuine at that point. It's like, we know what this is about, you know? So I do think y'all are right. Hitting the nail on the head. It's like this, you should evangelize. And Frank, 
you know, to what you were saying, I would firmly believe in, in my heart that whether you see converts or not, doesn't mean you're a good or bad evangelist, you know, because we, we share and God pull, he, he draws. But I think what I've seen in a lot of these churches that are so heavy on the altar call, church ends up feeling like a timeshare, right? Hi, you come to, t- come to church. We're going to show you a bunch of moral stuff. And at the end, sign up for Jesus. And we're going to say whatever we need to. We're going to get the music. We're going to maybe even drag the service out until you have an emotional reaction. Like, have any of you ever set through the timeshare pitches? Because this is literally how it goes, right? Yeah. yeah. And, sure. then, and then if you make it through no, you are I just are wanted a, a free steak. Right. Yeah, for real. And <laughs> I wanted I the bread like, and juice. Yeah. Where's the free bread and juice? Yeah. And, yeah, and when, your, when your theology is that the purpose of Sunday morning church is simply so people can only meet Jesus and learn some moral platitudes, then we're really running a, a timeshare where we'll say a lot of things if Jesus is our product, you know? So I really like the heart that all of y'all have expressed in that he's, he is, we're the product of him and what he's in the grace he's done in us. And ultimately I believe the greatest work of evangelism should be coming out of our congregants mouths during the week, you know, mm. and Sunday morning, should be the encouragement for them to get up and go to work and share the gospel and get to know that person and not sell them on anything, but uh, speak the word of life to them. Hey, Frank, the bread and the cup weren't free. Oh, it cost mm. someone. It cost someone some money. Oh, Jesus paid it all. Did you guys see online this week? All to him I owe. Andrew's the, the king of singing. Andrew's the king of singing too long on the bit. Like he's yeah. he's the king of like doing the, the oh it's a funny bit well, and he sings a little bit too long. <laughs> yeah. All right, did we, we need, really need the third Andrew, verse? Well, no, <laughs> what we really need is someone to start singing "Thief." Okay. Really quick before we lose it though, because that wasn't free. Did y'all see the post online about a church charging $10 for baptism? Did you guys see this? No. It was everywhere online this week. There's a church and it says my daughter, uh, our church is charging us $10 to baptize. And they actually took a picture of the promo for the church. Did she get a baptism? Whatever. That's what I maybe, but it says $10 application or whatever service fee for a baptism. Maybe they had and to I'm like, the make sure you're taking it seriously. <laughs> yeah. I'm maybe, like, well, inflation maybe has hit maybe it's, uh You get a free uh, COVID exemption with every baptism. Ooh. Not free anything. It's 10 bucks. But anyways, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, that's a good message. Uh, I, they're charging for shirts or something. They're misbudgeting uh, somebody somewhere. To, to be to yeah. be to be fair, uh, Delmar, when I say I don't think I have to give evangelism, uh people people raised their hand yesterday uh hey. so it's not that okay. it's not that like it's, but, it's but not did that, you I say think... every head bowed every eye closed did you yeah, say it i, I, I see that hand Magic words. Yeah, i see yeah. that hand sir here's the here's the thing i in the back i see you i like i obviously all that stuff it's like you don't see an example of that necessarily in scripture you see examples of calling people to repentance but like i don't know if like it's kind of a conversation of like what's the purpose of the of the sunday morning service um and and i don't know i mean what's interesting is that sermon was embedded with a a conversation of empowering our people to go out and share the gospel with their friends and family outside of the church and then you just did it for them cool 
<laughs> I actually said, I actually said, um, I don't ever want you to think that this is a church where if I could just bring my non-Christian friends, Frick will yell at them for 30 minutes and they'll get saved. But if you're here, raise your hand. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Um, But did you you keep it biblical and spontaneously baptize those people right then? Uh, I did sprinkle a couple kids. Peter. Um, No, we didn't do any of that. Um, We have baptism classes, which people get really, which people like get frustrated about. Like, why do you have to get a class to get baptized? And then. Then they tell us about their Catholic background, and then that's yeah. where like, we that's explain why. why. <laughs> that's why. Um, all right. Well, hey, uh, Dell brought this up. He talked about how if you went to the Perkley Pastoring Conference, you had a sneak preview of Delmar's quitting. Um, but <laughs> no, they uh, had a hand in it. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Matt Steen is like already like, hey, Dell, heard you quit your job. I was What's say, up? Some, hey, some hey, more than others. To this, I need to talk to you because he was like almost a prophet in the room about the way. Yeah, I was sitting nearby you. Down. We were in the sound booth, and you were there was a lot of. Hmm, and then Holland and, and writing. Delmar was openly it. weeping in the back of that room. <laughs> no, he wasn't. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, the Pride Lake Western Conference is, is coming in February, February 20th to the 22nd in Florida. You're not going to want to miss it. We already got a bunch of people signed up, and we want you there. This is, you know, um, this is not a, a place where, where where we hope that people are like getting poached for jobs or or are trying to be convinced to quit their jobs. Delmar is the exception, but it's the Delmar's vulnerability that you heard is the kind of conversations that you can hear at the Perkley Pastoring Conference and the kind of conversations we want to have and engage with. And so the Perkley Pastoring Conference is going to be in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and it's for people it's who are It's at the in- uh, church of one of our pastor friends that nobody on this podcast in the last two weeks knows, right? Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know where he is. I, I two know. weeks, We're, that's cute. We're just I'll, renting I'll the venue. Delmar earlier said is. that he was, he's was he been in and out of the uh, podcast, <laughs> but the, this guy's been out and out. He's just oh, been he's out. A, we're going to put him as the guest star from now yeah. on. But he's, we, but, the, he's the adjunct uh, host. Yeah, uh, adjunct. For sure. That's right. Um, but hey, um, we are, are stoked about it. Go to practicallypasteringconference.com, and, uh, and we got discount codes floating somewhere on the internet. But if you haven't found one of those discount codes – Send me uh, a message, and I would love to give you uh, a great discount. Hit him up in the DMs. I, I want you to be there. Bring your hey, Dell. Um, I mean, I think the largest conglomerate of people were from Sumter, South Carolina. There's yeah, someone who brought group. you know three folks from their own church. Like, mm-hmm. I love that. I Listen, love when multiple people come from the same church. I think if you had, if you have the title pastor, if you've had it in the past but resigned, we want you there. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you. We guys. want you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. With that being said, uh, let's let's dive into some articles and uh, uh, to find out what's going on in the pastor world uh, recently. Uh, we have two articles I want to talk about. Both are from Christianity Today. That liberal website. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I just I, someone. The reason why I say that someone liberalism, passion <laughs> of liberalism. Billy Graham would be turning in his grave right now if he knew. We what need Christianity more Christianity is. yesterday, uh, not today. <laughs> That's, <good. laughs> That's actually. I can hear someone saying that. Someone someone said that the Mars Hill podcast was a progressive hit piece by Christianity Today. And so every time I hear that, I'm like, have you read anything on Christianity Today? <laughs> like, it is not a it's not a bastion of progressive. Anyways, so uh, speaking of uh, not a bastion of progressivism, this article 
uh, is written by a MDiv student at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He works in the admissions department. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for, uh, <laughs> this, this, is, this, is a, this is an ad for a college. For somebody, for sure. uh, the article is entitled, Pastors Still Need Seminary Degrees. Uh, despite recent trends, formal theological training still plays an important role in the evangelical church. So uh, in light of the recent selling of the main campus of Gordon Conwell. I would have had an easy argument against this until Matt Chandler started going to seminary. Thanks a lot, Matt. For real, though, that's not. I mean, literally, I've actually Thanks thought that a lot. Hey, I don't yeah. think Perry Noble went to seminary. Oh, never mind. Oh, my. Oh. We have to drag people in this. Awkward. Uh, um, so, I uh, this article is really interesting because uh, essentially, it, it, I wonder if this is like old man on his porch yelling at kids in the, in the streets, right? Like, oh. this is a kind of saying that we need to not dismiss the value of seminary um, for various reasons and why seminaries are still very important. It, it does seem kind of um, kind of self-congratulatory because this is like someone who uh, is very tied to a specific seminary. Um, I'm that... dropping 80 grand and you can too. <laughs> yeah. 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 But to be fair. Um, so Jeff is, you know, you, no. we, all five of us have been to the formal uh, secondary education. Yeah, is, I didn't read all the the full article because I only went to college. Um, but <laughs> do they talk about like formal Bible college in here being part of it, or is it assuming you have a secular degree and then you go to seminary? Because I think that that that's that's not included. I was I was thinking a lot about that um, when when reading the because the I I agree with the premise that formal theological education at even at just a bachelor level is really helpful and important. Um, so, you know, cause I've known pastors that went, that have a bachelor's degree, but don't have any kind of like Bible college or seminary sure. degree. Sure. And you, in it, in it pop, you know, that stuff pops up sometimes. Well, let's yeah. just be really honest. You, when you say you have a, a Bible degree, that can mean a lot of things, right? Yeah. Like, I've actually, it was, I was thinking after I, you know, saw this article and was reading some of it, I've I've had multiple people in my church who have secondary degrees comment on like basically saying your Bible college did a good job. Like you mm. you seem to know about things that I didn't know about until I got to seminary. But then so, my question is Jeff is one of my questions I was going to ask is do you feel like your whether it's a college or seminary education like how much of that has actually played into your ministry right now? Oh, a lot. I, I, I for yeah, sure would not be as prepared as I am now, okay. um, even with just a four-year Bible college degree. I also think, and this goes to, a, this is kind of related, but it goes to uh, the question of ordination we've talked about before, where denominations might have a longer process for ordination and it might be connected to seminary. I, For me, that part of this is just the, the the idea of dedicating yourself to a process for a long period of time in which you have to submit to authority. I think that part of it is really formative for us as pastors and really important because I've talked to a number of guys who are pastors who are in very independent, non-denominational backgrounds who didn't have any kind of long-term field. They, they might've just got like a Bible certificate and then they became a pastor. And there are, there are issues that pop up in their ministries that I think were those those like sharp edges were knocked off of me either in the four year Bible college experience or for me in the 
in the like two and a half, three year ordination experience that I Jeff, went I'm through. right there with you. Like for, and, and I'll, I'll also add in there, there's something beneficial about being in Bible college slash seminary along with other people. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, unless you're doing it in person, it doesn't count it's to kind of follow the motive of the, of the letter. I'm just kidding. I was going to say, three of us right now are in I seminary I I'm online. Triggered. No, I was We're just not kidding. triggered. I, just, I do think, I, I, I think what I, can I, I finish I, my thought real quick for, for sure. Yeah. Because I was just kidding because the whole point was the guy is in seminary writing about why seminary is important. So I said, I did it in person, but I also did some online and I know that like even online you engage people and you have community. Yeah. So like that definitely exists. I think submitting to leadership alongside of other people is also important. And also there is a sharpening that happens in seminary, right? Like iron and sharpening iron and um, you're challenged in some very specific ways. But I also say the caveat this, and then I'll shut up. Like, I think Jeff said it, Bible college did what it needed to do in your life, right? Whereas I know some people who I, I, I personally trained a student. He's going to Southern seminary right now, but he's already way beyond maybe where a Southern seminary student's going to end, you know, like, so it's different for different people. I think he's going to end up being a professor, but I, I, to say, here's a blanket statement for every single human who's in ministry has to do it this way. I think that's, I think that's very, you gotta be cautious with that, but I think there is something to be said about submitting to authority in a learning environment. I think the college experience, the Bible college experience for me also, and I would guess seminary would be this way as well. It just, opened my eyes to how actually little I already know. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's the thing that made me go, man, there is a whole world out there. And like, it really, you know, it, it, for me now looking back, it's one of the things that helps you to not have knowledge that puffs up, you know, but knowledge that actually helps you love your people. So, but, I, but at the same time, I know pastors that went to seminary and are jerks because of it. You know, they think they know everything. Nobody can tell them anything. And so there's that as well. Do I think that it's helpful for all pastors? Yeah, I think it it for sure shouldn't be written off as a bad thing because there is the reality of kind of anti-intellectualism within evangelicalism. That is for sure a thing, and it's not good. Um, I, I also I highlighted this sentence. He said that the author said, think of doctors and lawyers. You would not let an autodidact cut off your leg, which I just thought – how long has he been saving the word autodidact to use? An article? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny to me that he put that, but I agree I'm with the premise. Right you now. wouldn't let an, un, you wouldn't let a self-taught, you know, eye doctor work on your eyes. There's an expectation that there's a formalized training that happens. And why in the evangelical world do we not have that expectation as well? I think Standards. that's a very, very fair question. I, I think another side of that is, you know, and, and he's at Gordon Cromwell, which you know, it's been through a lot in the past several years. You know, they just sold their giant property yeah. and they're, they're moving into Boston proper. Our denominational um, school just did that and, and, and that's, uh, created a big buzz. That, that is a, my, the Bible college that I went to closed. So th- this is another reality that that is contributing to this conversation for them to say, look, there there is value here. There's a reason for this. I took four years of my life and moved to Dallas to go to seminary because – it was important for me, as, as Dell said, to go in person and to sit shoulder to shoulder with people that were at that exact same life stage. That said, one of my closest friends in seminary um, did not have any ministry experience 
before seminary. He went to a liberal arts Christian college pretty much extensively on student loans, um, graduated with a Bible degree and a Greek minor, um, and then enrolled in seminary. And after two years of full-time seminary study and $170,000 of student loan debt between undergrad and two years of seminary, had his first church internship and realized he did not want to be in vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, well, what do you do at this point? Yeah. Because I don't want to say all your ducks are in that row, but quite frankly, <laughs> you've degree spent... degree going to do much for you. It, yeah, what what else are you going to do without that degree? So I I, I certainly Teach get seminary? both sides of this. It, it, yeah, what, exactly. <laughs> what what are you it. going to do? So there's there's... I don't want to say pros and cons because I th- I don't think there are many cons to a seminary education. I think it needs to be a yes and. You need that ministry experience. You need that internship. You need that pastor that's going to take you under his wing, but you also need the formalized training. One thing that that we get fairly regularly around here is I'll have a visitor show up at the church, and they'll say, ooh, I, I found you on the, the Dallas Seminary alumni page. And yeah. so I knew what I could expect because of where you went to seminary. That's and cool. that's, that's a, that's a thing that, you know, that seminary gives a certain credibility, a certain brand, if you will, to, you know, where different people are from. Um, and, and another thing and Jeff, if I had a gun to my head and someone said, who is the smartest guy on the podcast? I would not even blink about saying Jeff to save my life. Um, I, I think, Intellectually, you are very Everyone gifted. Everyone hates me now. Everybody <laughs> hates Jeff. But, <laughs> but and, and I don't know what the curriculum is at, at Trinity College, but for my undergrad, my uh, I, I had a Bible and history degree. Um, the Bible portion of my degree was 34 total credit hours. So by the time you're done with a bachelor's degree, you know, you've got your, your comp one and two, you've got your, your Western civilization credits. And so someone who is a dedicated, dedicated Bible student might have 30 or let's just say 40 credit hours of actual Bible training. That, that is one year, maybe a year and a half of academic study. Whereas a seminary degree on top of that, where you're not taking you know, comp right. one, you're not taking English literature. It is purely this biblical training. And I'm it's not just saying all that you focused can't, on what you were doing. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't, I'm not saying that you can't make that up other places and you can't self-study, but there is certainly something to be said for the emphasis being on ministry and on understanding God's word that you get in seminary that you don't quite get at the undergrad Bible college level. The other issue with self-study is it doesn't have the, you know, the development over years of this is the set of things you need to do in order to cross this finish line. When you're self-studying, mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, well, I guess I'll do this next, and I guess that's enough. I don't know. Whereas with, you know, I, I, with seminary, I'm pretty close to pulling the trigger on going to seminary in the next year or two. Um, you know, the, the, the pressure is mounting, not not only from just my own desire, but also there's there's some options that are open here because of, you know, denominational connections. There's also a seminary here in Baltimore. That's an ecumenical Institute. That's pretty interesting to me. Um, and uh, it's, it's at a Catholic seminary, but it's run by Protestants. Uh, so it's pretty interesting to me uh, and they have some real interesting degrees. So that would be an in-person option. 
but I have some other options because of where I live. I can hop on a train and go to the Manhattan campus of my my denominations, um, you know, seminary in a day and come home. So um, there's definitely some options. I totally see the advantages. I'm not a, I'm I am for seminary. I'm not against it at all. I just haven't done it yet. I'll submit just one more thought. I think seminary to me, it's important in the same sense that I think like um, confessions and creeds are important. Um, obviously they're subservient to scripture, but they keep us from being heretics, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, like if I just go off into a closet and study my Bible, I mean, I I could come up with a bunch of new theology. That's just old heresy. right? Right. So like having the standard and the, and the gore and the guidelines and the correctiveness. I mean, I was in, um, Charleston Southern and I was in my capstone class for student ministry and I'm not going to get into the topic, but one guys who wrote his paper, wrote his entire thesis on basically the permission of sin, like, and why we should permit it. And, and it was a couple of big, and it's like, he failed the class because the professor's like, no, you're not going to pass because you defend sin in your thesis. And I saw like how helpful um, seminary is because it does and Bible college, it keeps us out of those pitfalls um, and tested true. So I just submit that it's, it's in the same place for me as confessions and creeds. I think they're very valuable. I do think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the people who are listening to this, whether, cause I, I know for a fact that there are some like Baba colleges, Baba college students who listen to this because their professors are like, listen to one pastor podcast or something. So they found us or there's folks who are like volunteering in ministry. Maybe they're considering further education. Uh, not all seminaries are equal. I think that's really important that like we we say that like like there are so many junk online Christian colleges like and what I mean by that is and like don't hear me say Christian college and and think of the big one like Liberty is actually a pretty legit um uh has a legit online program and online seminary like so I, I'm not crapping on that what I'm what I'm saying is there's like like Andrew loves talking about accreditation like. Uh, there are some like me, uh, the two schools, Jeff and Andrew and I went to, they're different, had different accreditation systems. At the end of the day, they're still accredited. There are tons of like non accredited schools. They're literally just like some guy built a website and it's basically like a, like a, like a e-learning course that he put on there, like almost like a Patreon. I, I built a website. I am selling my PDFs. And I invested yeah. in a in a gold leaf press to put on. And you never know, um, somebody might publish it as mine. <laughs> somebody might quote something on there, yeah. plagiarizing, and get another guy in trouble. <laughs> yeah, for real. No. That's, 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 it might happen. You could, Speaking I mean, you, of I, Liberty University, <laughs> oh. dude, on all my turn uh, turn it in uh, plagiarism questions, it's always a Liberty University article that gets played. It's like, dude, there's just so many students writing articles for Liberty that like it's just like it's. Did you copy someone from Liberty is basically the question. No, I mean, it's just like one, not all, like there are so many, like I know, like I, I, I'm, I'm like biting my lip because I know people who like are like have these fake doctorates um, because they go to these like fake schools and, and literally like anything can be a school. And sometimes there's churches that have these schools in their church and they're not accredited. They just call it like school of theology at their Bible church. And, and, and so like that, that's we'll give dangerous. you credit hours. If you take our growth track, the next yeah. time I hear a church that's promoting their growth track, I'll, I, it, few things, <laughs> few things on the planet 
you know, frustrate me more than the term growth track in churches right now. The other thing you have to be careful though, is like, um, it's not like a hundred percent true, but like the, the seminary you go to for, well, I like what Dell said. And I like what Jeff said in the sense that like seminary should humble you like any kind of secondary education should humble you to realize, Hey, you don't know what you think, you know, like there's so much more to know. And I think the more I'm spending time in seminary, the things I used to be very, very dogmatic about, I'm a bit more malleable over and things I never thought I would be dogmatic about. I'm like, Oh, this is plain as day. All right. And so like, so like, it's interesting how seminary, like challenges you and, and makes you like think things differently and like conversations of like what is conservative theology and progressive theology and all that kind of stuff kind of not blur together but like there, there's more nuance than what is what's on lifeway bookshelves does that make sense mm-hmm. like yeah. uh like the quintessential book on complementarian and and egalitarian is not the books you're going to see well, that's the difference Hobby between Lobby. popular and academic. R- exactly. Also, exactly. Lifeway doesn't have bookshelves anymore. But. I, I know. That's why I changed it to <laughs> Hobby Lobby to like that one end cap that has Christian books, that's right? That's right. Um, so, but so there's that. But two is this is like the seminary you go to like can pigeonhole you. So like, for example, uh, for years, Andrew? Uh, Andrew, you went to Dallas. People have like try to like they'll pay 50 percent of my tuition if i go to dallas seminary dallas yeah. seminary dallas seminary and it's like yo dallas is a legit institution but like am i gonna pigeonhole myself if i go to dallas because there's certain churches that won't take that not they won't take it because there's like every denomination represented fit. dallas it doesn't always fit but that's also true if i went to like an asbury or like some like, yeah. like a methodist seminary mm-hmm. or or like you know, if I went to Fuller Seminary, right. which is like, I was gonna say like pe- people are going to be like, which kind of Fuller are you? Are you a John Piper Fuller or a Rob Bell Fuller? Because this is right. the same Fuller Seminary. You know what I'm saying? And I think that like, I think this is why like, I think Liberty Online is like an appealing program. Because, this is not just a Liberty Online, but like stuff like that is appealing because it's kind of broad enough where you can't get mad at it, but you know you have a solid education. That, but that's I, legitimately why I am at Liberty for my for my D-man right now because. I went to Clearwater Christian College, which doesn't Oops. exist anymore. But, but super conservative, like but Fundy Baptist. super conservative. You know, the the joke was was BJ by the Bay, and by the way, that means Bob Jones. Um, <laughs> oh, no. But oh, in in, in the in the uber fundamentalist world that I grew up in, it was like a little Bob Jones University. It was at Clearwater Christian College. Was, so for, for me, when I went to Dallas, in my mind, it was a considerable move towards the left which meant towards the center. And then I'm like, oh, wow, according to most people, this going to Dallas is not a move to the left. This is a very, very staunchly conservative seminary with a very particular breed of theology. And so to try to widen the net, and not that I'm looking for new jobs or, or whatever it may be, Liberty was the solution when it came to a doctoral program that would both respect my background in dispensational world at Dallas, but also be a little bit broader of a net um, for any ecumenical work in the future. Mm. Yeah, that's good. The other thing I want to say is this is uh, so don't go to the same school for uh, bachelor's master's, you know, d- diversify your resume. Yeah. You know, when you go to the doctor's office and they have eight different diplomas from eight different schools, you're like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. But then you go to the other doctor's office that has, you know, 17 diplomas from the same school. You're like, Hmm, what and went on here? Tracks. And two growth tracks, and <laughs> yeah. 
And then they went to West Coast Bible College, which is also in Waco, Texas. So why is it West Coast? And you're like, this can't be right. (laughs) (laughs) um uh what was gonna say is uh the other thing is this is like there is i think what you're hearing is is a seminary is a good thing it gives you credibility and that's ultimately a big thing like like jeff is the only one without a seminary degree and you're i agree with you i think he's the smartest guy on this podcast but uh with that being said is like um you can Uh be the smartest guy with the podcast but like not necessarily get like certain jobs because you yeah, don't have the seminary degree. Real. And, and that's, it's unfortunate, but that's like a reality of like the, the world we live in. But I also think though, like, like I know this for a fact is I, I asked my youth pastor um, when I was in Bible college uh, about my junior and senior year, I said, why should I go to seminary? Because the guy, my youth pastor, he went to Moody for his undergrad in Dallas for a seminary. And I said, why would you go to seminary as a youth pastor? And he said the difference between a seminary and a non-seminary youth pastor is ten thousand dollars. And yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, it's just about money. <laughs> it's just about like you're in a different tax bracket because of this. Okay, now I understand that. And so, like, like you know, I, when you t- when you gave me that when you said that story about the guy who went to Bible college and seminary and then realized vocational ministry wasn't for him after getting all the student loan debt. My only my only the, the part that makes me suffer in that is. He's not going to recoup that money, at least not for me, like a ton of years. It's not like a, it's, no. it's not like it's not like a doctor, like a, a an MD who goes to med school and then within like five years he'll be able to pay everything off and and some. You know what I'm saying? Like, so here's here's what, what I wonder re- reading that article. So the the guy who wrote this, uh, Noah Crager, he's an MDiv student at Gordon Cromwell Theological Seminary and a research assistant assistant for the Center for the study of global Christianity. So maybe he is wanting to be an academic and not necessarily a pastor, but the whole article is written from the standpoint of pastors. So I want to know what is his ministry experience? Because if you're, yeah. Hey, I've got that, that sweet research grant while I'm in seminary. Yeah. Um, what, what is his, what, where is he being plugged in in ministry? Because Frank, you're in seminary now you're 35, right? Did I do math? Yep. Right. You did right. All right. Yeah. So you're one year into seminary at 35. So you had 12 years, 13 years full-time ministry experience before you went to seminary? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. De- Del, Del how, how long of the break between oh. your bachelor's and master's? Um, I got out oh seven, when then I went back in 2012. So you had so five years. years of vocational right. ministry experience. I, I had right. I went to seminary full-time, like, you know, moved across the country when I was 24 and I had been working in a church for about two years at that point. And so I, and I kind of wish the the break would have been more academically, boy, it's good to get plugged in as soon as you forget how to write paper or, you know, so you don't forget how to write papers and things like that. Yeah. But just to clarify the call in my life, it was so good to have those couple of years of vocational ministry experience. And when I read articles like this, I just want to say, okay, Yes, I agree with everything you're saying. Seminary is important, but so is ministry experience. Yeah. And I, and I think that, like, uh, we don't I, – I think because seminaries are great and online programs are more accessible, we don't hear about um, good uh, – inter- not internships, but, like um, residencies, like in churches anymore. You don't hear about residencies where, like – churches are intentionally taking in young pastors to raise them up, to send them out. Like you don't hear about that as much because you kind of just fully rely on seminary. 
Um, and a lot of the churches that are don't care about the seminary degree. Like, hey, what's that? Yeah. You got a pulse? We'll bring you into our residency program, and then within three years, we'll tell you if you have it or not. Yeah. But whether whether you have the seminary degree or you know you just are a volunteer on the praise team and, and you're a good stagehand, they'll put you in that residency. And I think that's part of where the issue is as well as as a structure. And because the, the church is so decentralized with different denominations and non-denominational churches, yeah. there is no one clear path. And yeah. it would maybe be helpful if there was a clear defined path yeah. like yeah. there are for other professions. I, I would say nobody, one more thing. Nobody is like becomes that. a doctor or a lawyer as a second profession. No one's like, well, I'm 40 and I decided it was time to go to med school. But <laughs> yeah. in seminary, you get that all the time. Yeah. I was One more thing I was just thinking about here that I, I have this thought once in a while, mainly because of the where I'm doing ministry and the, the community that I'm in being a lot of lower income people uh, who are amazing people. But like, man, the fact that you got to go to Bible college or if you're in seminary, it's a massive privilege that a lot of people in our world don't have. So you know, if that's you and if there's like scholarship or somebody's helping you pay for it, you know, I would really, you know, I, I wish I would have known this when I was in Bible college, uh, how much of a privilege it was. So I would have kept my nose to the grindstone a little better Absolutely. and focused and really taken it for all that it, you know, would have given me instead of being a bad student like I was. Uh, so, you know, th- that's just something to think about. I mean, my family, you know, we're, we're in a neighborhood where having a bachelor's degree even is a minority among the people that I'm ministering to. Um, a lot of people here finished high school, but then they just, you know, they just got a GED and started going to work right away. Um, there's a few people with, uh, you know, graduate degrees in my church, but not many. And so um, having a bachelor's degree, you know, it's just, it's a big privilege. So don't take it for granted. If you're in Bible college now, or you're in college and, or you're in seminary, you know, I would say, keep yourself connected to people uh, in your church and, um, you know, keep yourself connected to, to real people to do ministry with so that you don't become, you know, Frank and I used to joke around about those guys in Bible college who sit at the lunch table and you think to yourself, good Lord, I hope you actually are not pastoring people right now because mm. of the way you're talking, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Dell, what you got? All right, fellas. I do actually have to cut loose to Charlotte right here in a minute. Uh, so that's about two and a half hour ride for me. So I got to roll and I just want to say bye to everybody. And uh, I will catch up with y'all sooner than later. This has been good. And I will tell you this, someone listening right now, you probably know that you need to go to seminary. I knew and I didn't. And a guy came up to me at church one day and he said, Dell, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, I'm doing ministry. He goes, you're supposed to be in seminary. And he was an older guy. And I was like, I mean, I think that I should. And he pulled out of his pocket a $100 bill and put it in my hand. He goes, let me pay for your first book if you sign up. And because of an older gentleman named Mr. Charles pushing me and saying the thing I needed to hear, um, I was able to go to seminary, which is where I fell in love with my wife. And um, I learned to grow, I mean, a lot in my faith. So somebody listening today, I just want to encourage you, if you know that is God's course for your life, just just sit in it and uh, don't fight it because it, it, is, it is a great experience. So anyways, guys, this has been good and uh, I'll talk to y'all later. Awesome. I, I graduated from seminary because of Dr. Sabrina Hopkins, who pulled me aside and said, Andrew, I know that you love doing youth ministry and that you're dr- dropping classes right now because you've got different church events on the calendar that are competing with them. But here's what I want you to, rem- to remember. You are costing yourself future ministry opportunities because of current ministry obligations. Mm. And 
that conversation literally set the path for the rest of my life. I went and saw her in her office in November. I was my first time back on campus at Dallas since 2012. And I went and saw her and said, Hey, I'm, I'm pastoring a church that would not have hired me if it was not for that conversation that you and I had. So, and I, I, I get, especially when you're like 23, 24 and you're like, why I'm, I'm where God has me. This is a great place to be, man. There is, yeah going to come a time there's going to come a day where you're going to hit a ceiling and you'll think if only I had done done that I've got a buddy of mine who who you you guys know who would say we've we've had the seminary conversation he said you know I'm I'm 40 whatever years old now it's too late for me to go back I wish I would have done it and I just think it's, it's I don't know that it is too late but if you think maybe you should be doing it and you're in ministry and you know that you're called to it Maybe pray about God setting you aside for a year or so, maybe two dude, years. Especially maybe if more. you're if uh, you're pre kids and you're having this thought. If you are pre kids, make it happen, woo. bro. Yeah. Hey guys, did Dell just give an altar call about seminary? I, I think, think he, he did. did. He's like, if you're ready to make that decision, come on down, <laughs> sign up. <laughs> Southern Seminary. Southern Southern Seminary Edu is what he just said. Anyways, I, uh, I, th- let- I think he did. I think he did his seminary degree at Anderson. I don't think he went to Southern. I'm just kidding. I don't know where he went. Um, <laughs> that's good. Hey, let's move on to this other Christianity Today article. Um, survey: Most pastors don't see deconstruction in the pews. It, it may be easier to find people in the midst of deconstructing their faith on social media than within churches. This is a very interesting article. Because um, I think it's right. Like I don't, I don't hear the term deconstruction, or people talk about it within the like my actual pastoral conversations. Perhaps maybe I could say what they're doing is deconstructing or something like that. But like actually, someone saying, "Pastor Frank, I'm I've been deconstructing my faith, and here's where I'm where I'm at right now." Like I mean, I've my people seen people who would verbalize, "I'm deconstructing." have been out of the church for a year by then Mm. like that to me that's like step one i'm kind of cynical about this because it's like step one is oh i just stopped going to church because i don't believe in institutional church anymore sure and then from there they deconstruct and you don't know because they've been gone and they probably didn't tell you yeah they just left you know so i'm kind of cynical about this i'll admit it but um yeah i i haven't had anybody in my church come up and tell me that but i know people that are that are like we've been cynical. To the church. Huh? We've been cynical on, on the, we've been cynical on this podcast before, and and I am very guilty of it. But maybe I'm unapproachable often, because I'm cynical about it. <laughs> maybe that's it. But but how often is the first step of deconstruction, um, unrepentant sin? Yeah. And hey, because I mean, because because what I don't think I'm doing is wrong, or because I don't want to admit what I'm doing is wrong. Yeah. Then if I had if I admitted that, you know, this lifestyle, this whatever I was doing was wrong, then I would have to call it sin and stop doing it. Or I can keep doing it. And because I want to keep doing it, then I have to adjust what I believe. So I'm not a hypocrite. And that begins the deconstruction journey yep. for, for and that's not the case for everybody. But I've never had and I've had people say, hey, Andrew, I'm struggling with what I believe about, um, you know, women in ministry. I'm struggling with what I believe about um how the church is responding to people who are same sex attracted. 
but I'm having I'll, I'll have those conversations with people that are in uh, in the pews. I think it's very funny that this article talks about there's no deconstruction in the pews, and all of the pictures in the articles are definitely those interlinking Our chairs, chairs, not pews. Yeah. But the uh, I, the conversations about different convictions of wrestling with what God's word really says about a particular issue. I'll have those conversations with people who are actively engaged in the church, but the people that are considering abandoning the faith altogether, like you said, they're not sitting in church and they haven't been for a couple of years. I feel like I hear this phrase in this conversation to the point so much online to the point where like there were accounts on like Instagram and Twitter that I would follow because I was fascinated by this topic. And now I'm at the point where I need to unfollow them because I, I just think that they're like, so anti-christian that like it's not helpful for me like it's just it's causing me to be more cynical of the cover like i feel like when i first started hearing this discussion of deconstruction i was actually very gracious towards this discussion because i was defining deconstruction how i understood my deconstruction story in the sense of like i want to untangle the unbiblical stuff of christianity of like the church from christianity but what i'm but what the cynicism you guys are not talking about is what you just said. It's like, I, I, I want to accept what a lot of the, well, a lot of what scripture says and of what of evangelical culture says is sinful. And I don't like that. Therefore I'm deconstructing. And I think sometimes these uh, deconstructing social media accounts feel like it's just focusing on that and not like the part that like I was wrestling with was like, you know, how do I, you know, racism in the church, right? Like how come, how come my lived experience when I hear of George Floyd is not the consensus of other people who espouse what I believe, right? Like that's the kind of conversations of deconstruction that I wanted to have. And, but like what we're having more of like, is just like, but those aren't called deconstruction. Well, how would you, what would you call What what I was going to say is like my experience in pastoring and is that, People who use the language of deconstruction are are straying to the left, if you will. They're they're going more towards licentiousness. They want to get yeah, rid of the yeah. biblical ideas about traditional sexuality and marriage in one direction. This is kind of what we talked about before, where I was saying I don't want to harden my heart towards the people who lean to the right of me. Uh, what yeah. I'm seeing is that people who use the term deconstruction lean to the left of me on mm-hmm. a bunch of issues. There, but there are a bunch of the, the more pressing pastoral issue for me is the people who don't realize they've already deconstructed their faith to the right of me mm-hmm. on a bunch of issues like what you're talking about. They don't call yeah. it deconstruction because those who are sitting in the pew yelling amen. Yeah, they're sitting in the pew thinking that they're agreeing with me about the gospel. But what I see from the fruit of their life is they're misapplying the gospel towards things like what you mentioned, Frank. Where, you know, they're the ones, you know, saying that things are being too woke in their CRT and whatever, all that. And they don't realize that they've, I mean, I remember having these conversations when the emergent church was starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking those questions, well, wait a minute, in what ways has evangelicalism already, to use the term, deconstructed itself to give me what I have? And so to me, that's a more pressing pastoral issue because I do see that in the pews. I talk to people after a sermon and they go, yeah, thank you, pastor. You, you know, you, this is the point you made. And in my head, I'm thinking, that's not the point I made at all. You missed it. <laughs> that's not even that. That wasn't even the application of that or, or the tell, you know, the, the red flag telltale sign is they'll say something like, 
I love it when pastors say things that no one else wants to say. Mm. And I think, yeah, until it's what you don't want me to say. Yeah. yeah. Then you don't like it anymore. Yeah. You know, when, to, to go back to George Floyd, when that happened a couple of years ago, it was in the middle of COVID summer. Mm-hmm. We did a whole series on, on the kingdom of heaven centered around evangelicals history of racism and like, why does the black church exist? We did like a six week series. And by weeks four, five, six, I had those kind of people coming up to me saying, you know, it's really, it's time to move on from this. Maybe just get back to a book of the Bible. You know, this Mm. isn't really, we don't need to be doing this. And that's when that, that, that was the real first time for me as a senior pastor, when I felt like a little bit in danger, like if I keep pressing this, what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. And um, we, you know, we finished the series and and did move back into a book of the Bible, but that's just there under the surface. And I would say that's a more pressing pastoral issue of that kind of deconstruction that we don't call deconstruction on that side of things. Like so many other things, on how, how many times have we said in the what almost two years we've been doing this show? This is a discipleship issue. Like, yeah. That should be the T-shirts that we sell for this show, which just says, this is a discipleship <laughs> issue because it's fairly all-encompassing. The reason that we don't see people deconstructing in the pews is because they've left. The reason that they left and we didn't notice that they left mm. is because they were attenders, not participants in the church. Yeah, and the and the way that they drifted from participant to attender was, hey, we didn't notice that either. We were f- too busy focusing on how many butts were in the seats to actually care about discipling the people to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I mean, this is this is interesting. With this, uh, I, I appreciate all's perspective. It's actually funny because I think we haven't talked about deconstruction on this podcast for a while, and I think that like all of us have kind of like both. All of us have kind of. As people in ministry actually working with people, sometimes it feels like this construction, this conversation is a conversation outside of actual conversations with people. Does that make sense? Like this is people like on social media pontificating on things that they have a lived experience of or they're in like an echo chamber of having a lived experience of this. But like when you are actually doing ministry with people from a wide spectrum of from the right to the left, conservative, progressive churched unchurched it's like i i feel like you see this very differently and i think this this research is interesting because what it seems to be indicating is like the people who know what deconstruction is mostly are people under the age of 45 yeah and that makes sense because under people under the age of 45 are on social media so the fact that they know what that means just means that they're on social media but like whether it's actually affecting their church overwhelmingly it's not and to be fair, Lifeway is a Southern Baptist arm of, uh, you know, research. So, so it might be like biased, but at the same time, it's like the Southern Baptist Church is what the largest denomination in the country. So, their data is probably pretty helpful, you know. So, it's it's fascinating because as as big as my church is in terms of the spectrum of the kind of people that come there, I cannot think of a conversation where someone has actually used the word deconstruction to define what they're going through. But they'll like appropriate the word deconstruction to describe sanctification, if you will. Like mm-hmm. I've decon- I've like changed the way I've understood something. I've kind of I've walked my faith with fear and trembling, and now I'm in a different place. And it's like they'll use the word deconstruction to mean what they want to say. So yeah. I think that's interesting. I, one um, one more caveat to this, I think, is 
another reason that people might not say, oh, the people, you know, we're not having the conversation about people in the pews is because I'm, and I am, because of my cynicism, I'm quick to point at the sin issue that those that might be deconstructing their faith are going through. You know, I'm, I moved in with my girlfriend. I don't want to say it's wrong. I've done this. I don't want to say it's wrong. But another huge factor that you see for people deconstructing their faith is that they've been sinned against by the church. Yes. And particularly by those in church leadership. And so if, you know, Susie Bonnie Joe has her TikTok account with 1.25 million followers talking about her deconstruction journey because Pastor Teddy did this, that, or the other, or said this to her, he's not going to admit to, well, yeah, they're deconstructing their faith because I sinned against this parishioner. So I think we we need to realize that there's more than one reason that we're not going to call it deconstruction in the church. And that's even if, let's say, it is 5 or 10% of the deconstruction is because a parishioner has been sinned against, we still need to recognize that there's a a percentage of people walking away from the faith is because not only because of their sin, but because they've been sinned against by someone and in the leadership. A, yeah, and that's a real problem. Spiritual abuse is a real thing. Like, we're, well, I, I don't mean to minimize that. Yeah, you, you actually make me think about something in the sense that, like, if the three of us have kind of this cynicism toward the word deconstruction, how is that playing into the research if they're interviewing pastors specifically? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like the people who are actually deconstructing are not pastors and the people who are the most deconstruction positive are not necessarily people who are pastors either. So I wonder if that kind of messes up this data too. But yeah. we're also in that middle age gap, whereas, you yeah. know, the – the vast majority of pastors, there are more pastors beyond 65 than there are under 40, and all of us are under 40 at least for the next wow, few months. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, so true. We're, we're not quite the boomer generation of pastors that have the power and the authority to you know drive somebody away willy-nilly and then say, oh, well, they weren't really saved anyway. When it's like, no, you, you were abusive in your, in your authority of the church, and that's what drove them away. But we're also not the 19-year-old's trying to have a little bit of liberty and self-sufficiency for the first time on our, on our own and yeah. want to claim deconstruction for the reason that we're rebelling against the church. That's good. Well, um, let's keep this conversation going. We're going to bring this up in the, in the, in our Facebook group. We want to keep the conversation there so we can find out, uh, have you heard people talk about deconstruction in your church and in your ministry? We'd love to hear that and more. Um, hey, uh, before we wrap up, uh, since we've been on, I got a notification from Southwest Airlines saying that you can start booking flights up to like March of next year. Ooh. So that means you can book your flight for the Practically Pastoring Conference right now on Southwest, which typically is the most affordable flight. Now, make sure here's some pro tips because we learned this the hard way with some folks that came to the conference last year. And right now flying is a, is a bit of an interesting experiment, as Andrew knows. Um, yeah, just don't fly Allegiant. That's the part where you went wrong in the first place. <laughs> but uh, it's the only direct flight into the state of Arkansas from Tampa. Yeah, fair enough. But um, uh, when you book a flight for a conference or any event, flying in general, try to be the first flight of the day. It's it's worth being at the airport at like however early in the morning because that first flight is almost never delayed or canceled. So hey, Frank, another notification that we got since we started recording. I don't know if you get the uh, practically pastoring emails on your desktop like I do, but as yeah. we were recording, we, we got another super early sign up 
Oh, we did? This, this, this thing is filling up. Filling up, dude. It's filling up. Filling hey, up. Hey, Andrew, real quick. This, this is towards the end of the podcast. People might not be listening, so we can be honest. Uh, what, was your, what was your nightmare about the conference the other day? Oh, gosh. I, and I know I texted you guys about this, but I, I think I like woke up and texted you guys immediately and then might have gone back to sleep. So now I'm trying to remember what it was because I remember like telling you, I remember it bombed. Like it was the, the it it was a disaster, but it was like we we sold out. We don't even have like a number to sell out because we're not expecting we're not expecting that. But it was like hundreds of people happened. We we had to move venues, and so like, hey, I've got this. Let's go to Clearwater Christian College, except for the fact that Clearwater Christian College got bulldozed, and there's a medical school now. And so where the one lecture hall that we were going to have this you know cool AV setup was, it was like a surgical. Uh, uh, theater so people are coming to hear a lecture but someone's getting operated on instead and it was just a unmitigated disaster and i texted you guys and you told me it's going to be great don't worry about it Andrew. we got this wow yeah. well we do what did you this. eat before that taco bell I don't know. probably, probably, probably taco, bell. taco bell yeah if, Not you taco bell, if you have the taco bell app there's like online exclusive things that you can order and it's so much cheaper and so much more delicious is it the bell you Sound for yeah, the it, oh, yeah, and then when, and when you check out, like you hit the checkout, and if your phone is hooked up to your Apple CarPlay, it dings Ooh. throughout your whole car. It's so cool. And it but then you get addicted to it. Want Taco Bell? Yeah, it's really dangerous. You guys need to be praying for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing some red flags, buddy. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> we have to have an intervention. The same way we had Dell. Dell, you got to quit. I'm, Andrew, you got to stop eating Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm deconstructing my stomach lining oh, as we speak. Man. Oh, man. People are canceling us. All right, here you go. Hey, thanks for joining us, Tim. Um, I, we got, we're going to stop paying you because you haven't been here in forever. And I'll uh, adjunct <laughs> Tim. Uh, Del, we're glad you're, you're homeless now. And uh, nope. Jeff and Andrew, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Hey, if you want to uh, keep, keep this conversation going, Join us in the Instagram, in the Facebook group, all the social medias. Please share this with a friend. Share this with a pastor friend of yours, someone in ministry. And uh, and please join us for the Practically Pastoring Conference this February. It's going to be awesome. Until next time, I'm Frank Gill. I'm the smartest guy here. <laughs> and I'm definitely not. <laughs> this is Practically Pastoring. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.